it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show, partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. My name is Harry Hurley. Honor to fill in for Guy Benson, who will be back on Friday. The Guy Benson Show offers smart, fast-paced Political and cultural insights from the right-leaning perspective. Guy blends major newsmaker guests, including a steady stream of Fox News all-stars. Of course, Griff Jenkins being one of them, and he's standing by on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. Uh, we're longtime friends, and I just have such profound respect for Griff, his his professionalism, his ability to go in tough spots and He's just—it's—he's just everywhere. I mean, if it's the border and and that needs uh, Griff Jenkins, he's there. Uh, if it's speaking Spanish at the border, he's that—he's that guy. And it, now he's at my former boss's home, Mar-a-Lago, the private estate and club in Palm Beach, Florida. And we're going to be visiting with Griff in just a moment. The Guy Benson Show is one of the most relevant nationally syndicated radio talk shows in America. Welcome on a very busy news day. This is. The Guy Benson Show. Well, I would be remiss. Uh, honestly, if things didn't turn and, and people are dead, so it's, it's terrible. But if things didn't turn, even with President Trump's announcement yesterday, we would have to lead with what's happened at the border in Poland, Ukraine, all because of Russia. Let's not lose sight of that. Very, very tragic. But at least we're not talking Article 4 or Article 5. You, you really never want to mention Article 5, because an attack on one is an attack on all, and that would be World War III, which a lot of people have been worried about. But invariably, and as the program goes along today, we will be speaking about it, because there's a lot to talk about. And in fact, we have a distinguished guest later in the program that was recently at the border. He was in Poland. His brother was right there. His brother actually has gone into Ukraine at times, and it's, um, it's a tough spot right now. You really never know what's going to come next. But fortunately uh, and quickly, that was mitigated. You don't mitigate the loss of human life. That is absolutely irreplaceable. But fortunately, it was not what some people initially thought, which would have really ratcheted this thing up incredibly. So instead, we open with the 45th president of the United States, who would like to be the 47th president of the United States and do something that's only been done one time in American history, and that's to become a two-term but non-consecutive two-term president of the United States. It's not like if the president were to run again and win, and he is going to run, he's, he's declared, uh, he can't run for another term after this if he, if he is successful. You get two terms, whether they're uh, two in a row Keep in mind, there is a way you can serve more than eight years, and that's if you serve a certain portion of an unexpired term. You could wind up serving almost 10 years, but that would have to be very unusual timing. The best way uh, to talk about what happened last night at about 920-ish, I think it was 923 to be exact, when the 45th president, K. 
came out, and our Griff Jenkins was there. He'll speak to it in just a moment, but let's hear from the former president himself, Dan Cut 11. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. This will not be my campaign. This will be our campaign altogether. Because the only force strong enough to defeat the massive corruption we are up against is you, the American people. That's true. And remember, not just looking and promising to make America great again, but great and glorious. Let's go to our Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline and say hello to my good friend, Griff Jenkins, Fox News Channel correspondent extraordinaire. All right, Griff, you're at my old boss's home. How's it going? <laughs> hey, Harry, it is great to join you, and I appreciate the very kind words. You know, listen, I need a favor, and, you know, I'll just share this with all of our millions of listeners. If you could call my bosses there in New York uh, in Washington, uh, where you are, and ask them if I can find a reason to stay here because, you know, it is 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, and sunny here. And I really don't want to come back to 30 degrees, rain, sleet, and snow. So I think whatever uh, the story is about that announcement last night, we need to extend it at least three days. Oh, it sounds like a moral <laughs> imperative, Griff. I'll, I'll do my best. You're worth it. You're worth <laughs> expending any capital, any little capital that, that I have ratcheted it, up. Griff, you were there. You were there. What was the energy like? Obviously, it's a home crowd. It's at the president's home, and the people that he wants to be there are there. So I imagine the energy level was extremely high in terms of support for President Trump. Sound about right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he had uh, obviously the former First Lady Melania there, along with his uh, youngest son, Barron, was there, uh, and Eric and Laura Trump and Jared Kushner there, although Ivanka was not, as we've been reporting. Fox News got the exclusive interview with Ivanka, who said, listen, I love my dad, but I'm going to sit this one out. I'm not going to be involved politically right now. Now, what was interesting about who wasn't there was Ron DeSantis wasn't there. Not a lot of, uh, you know, some of the folks that might have been there in, in the past because the, the, the approach that the president's taking, which is really this get out in front first to try and clear the field. We'll see. Only time will tell if that happens. But I do think, you know, it was a very interesting speech. He spoke for just under 64 minutes, and he really laid out this national greatness agenda and hit several issues from the crime and border that we've been talking about. But he also went in some, into some areas we haven't heard, a, heard, a, heard him talk much about here, which was he said he wants to be the first president to truly fix education, hit on uh, critical race theory as well. But obviously his goals are much larger. And he said that it's time to really overhaul the DOJ and the FBI after what's happened. And so it was certainly an interesting uh, uh, laundry list, if you will, of all of the things that he believes he needs to pick up. He called the past four years a pause, pick up where he left off to truly finish what he's trying to do to put the country where it wants to be. We've been doing live shots all day yesterday and today on the causeway as you approach Mar-a-Lago, as you just go into Palm Beach, and there has been a steady stream of Trump supporters that say, hey, it's time for him to come back. However, in fairness, 
you did see on an interview there earlier today, uh, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence saying he wouldn't go so far as to say that Trump shouldn't have announced and that he's not electable, but he was hinting that it's time perhaps for someone new, a different style of leadership. And while I've been here for the last three days, I have talked to a lot of Floridians that are very high on Ron DeSantis. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens if, if Ron doesn't throw his hat in the ring. I think one of the things that was truly uh, different last night, perhaps of what we all expected to hear, was his tone. It was a little subdued. It was more of a pro- presidential tone and you know he still delivered the uh, the attacks on on Biden saying you know we can't have four more years of what we're in but it wasn't the same as the Trump you saw at a rally or the high energy Trump it was more of this sort of even keeled tone and and he got a little bit of support uh, from central Instagram that was was tweeting specifically last night right after uh, the announcement that, that that specific tone in that message, if he keeps it consistent, is going to be something that's going to be hard to beat. Griff, uh, I know, Griff, I know you were there to, to, to see this. I expected this tone. I expected it to be toned down. I didn't expect the Trump rally type uh, character, if you will. If you remember when Kellyanne Conway became the campaign manager. The campaign was for about six, seven, eight weeks at the end, super focused, all business, no stupid stuff, no self-inflicted mistakes, and ended very, very strong. And, of course, President Trump won the presidency over what some felt was the favored Hillary Clinton. I have a theory on, on this race. Some people think that President Trump jumped in early because that will make it that less people will run. I disagree, Griff, and I want to get your comment on this. So just joining us, it's Griff Jenkins on The Guy Benson Show. Griff Jenkins, of course, uh, Fox News Channel correspondent. I think he wants all nine of these people, Pence and DeSantis and Yunkin and Hogan and Hutchinson and Tim Scott and Pompeo and Nikki Haley and my former governor, Chris Christie. He wants them all in there because in the Republican primary, it's winner take all. He will have his Trump percentage that's untouchable, and the more the merrier. He can only lose a Republican primary, in my estimation, and I don't even know that that would happen then, but he could lose if it was head-to-head against, say, Ron DeSantis. But if he's running against nine other people, he can't be stopped. Well, that's a very insightful and, and very plausible, you know, uh, theory. And it's interesting. I've been talking with my producer, Jake Gibson, down here with me. We were trying to remember, you know, any recent modern times that anybody took a kind of get out in front uh, strategy. And the only thing uh, he, he could come up with was, you know, you had back in 2006, Iowa's Democrat governor, Tom Vilsack, got in really early uh, in hopes of trying to offset Hillary. And then, of course, Obama came in, as as we all know, and, and that's how that went. It didn't work for him. This is a very different thing. And there is certainly one school of thought that says that uh, Trump knew because of everything going on, because of the immediate recent criticism he got, whether due or not, I'll leave the analyst to that, but the, the criticism he got for the lackluster results of the midterm elections, guys like Oz, Blake Masters did not win, Mastriano did not win. And he the theory goes that, you know, if he gets in now and 
gets the reception that he wants, has people attacking him, to include, obviously, the people that have uh, since become perhaps new recent critics that once served in his administration, let them get out there, start attacking him. You saw, speaking about that tone, a lot of people in social media and on cable channels saying, oh, he's low energy now. Let it all get going to specifically create this climate of an underdog status. I mean, it's hard to be the underdog when you were the president of the United States. And True. So but, perhaps, hey, Griff, yeah, Griff, let me, in our two-minute row here, let me float one more theory that I have. President Trump is daring the Attorney General Merrick Garland to indict him. He's daring him as a declared candidate for President of the United States. He's daring the Attorney General to do something that's never been done before. Uh, and it also will probably force the Attorney General to appoint a special counsel. And we know the way that goes. That's two, three years, four years down the road. Uh, so this election would almost be over by then uh, at, the, at the rate that, that the uh, special counsels typically act. It would it would be over. The, the election would be over. I think that the president, Trump, has calculated they're not going to touch him while he's a declared candidate for president of the United States and that the worst case scenario he would face would be the appointment of a special counsel. And then that's kicked the can see in a couple of years. We've we've seen that play out with all the times that Trump was impeached and, and other presidents before that. So that's my theory. Uh, I don't know that he would have jumped in this soon if not for that. I think it's a great theory, and I think you're probably uh, uh, spot on about daring Garland to indict him because, again, as we heard in that speech last night, he wants to talk about the overall of DOJ because of a specific politicization of that institution, which is the premier law enforcement agency in the country. And uh, obviously, if he were indicted, he would certainly be able to point directly at that, and yeah. he would get quite a bit of sympathy. And notice he muted that, Griff, even when we're down to 30 seconds, I want to squeeze this in real quick. Even yep. when he did that kind of uh, stuff last night, he did it muted with, uh, this is personal to me. And I know, you know, he didn't do it bombastically. He did indeed, and if he becomes and actually gets elected to be the only second U.S. president in history to serve non-consecutive terms, Grover Cleveland being the first as our 22nd and 24th president, if he gets indicted, he'd be the first that ever pulled that off. Live from Mar-a-Lago at President Trump's private estate and club in Palm Beach, Florida. And Griff, I have to say, you look good doing your live hits <laughs> from Palm Beach. Uh, so I'm on Team Griff. Uh, always great to visit with you, my friend. Tell the bosses to keep me here, but otherwise I'll see you back in the nation's capital. Be Stay safe, here. my friend. See you, Griff. We will be right back. We're off and rolling. It's a big news day because it always is, because this is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. I will ensure that Joe Biden does not receive four more years in 2020. Panther. Our country could not take that. And I say that not in laughter. I say that in tears. Our country could not take four more years. It can only take so much. 
That's President Trump live last night from his Mar-a-Lago uh, estate talking about entering the race for 2024 for the presidency. So he waited right after the midterm election, obviously right before the runoff in Georgia. There were there were a lot of people saying that the president should wait. Don't do that. It's going to take attention away. It's going to make Herschel Walker have to answer you know, do you support President Trump? And, and you know, you know what the other side is going to do. Uh, but President Trump had a plan and he stayed with it. Uh, and those that know him know that when he makes his mind up about something, that that's just the way he's going to go about it. And when you've already done the job. And that's one thing. But when the country is looking to go forward, what does the guy who used to have the job, who wants to have the job again, what will his focus be? Dan, cut 13. This campaign will be about issues, vision, and success. And we will not stop. We will not quit until we've achieved the highest goals and made our country greater than it has ever been before. And we can do that. We can do it. You know, I also want to add a couple more um, sound uh, bites from President Trump from last night. Dan, let's share cut 14. If our movement remains united and confident, then we will shatter the forces of tyranny and we will unleash the glories of liberty for ourselves and for our children and for generations yet to come. America's golden age is just ahead. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. We will make America glorious again. And we will make America great again. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you. And and then there was one. What remains to be seen, there's no question that most of America wants $2 gas, 0% inflation, energy independent, being a net oil exporter, strong foreign policy, and all these other things that President Trump showed he can do. The American people don't want the drama. That's what I think this could come down to. The president has to convince them of that. Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, is next. It's The Guy Benson Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back. It is the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyan and Dan. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy, who will be back on Friday. So let your heart not be troubled about that. Guy will be back very, very soon. Busy, big news day here 
Today on The Guy Benson Show, obviously so much is going on. Uh, the races for the remaining House of Representative seats remain excruciatingly close. I, my math tells me that Republicans will win a minimum of three more, possibly four, maybe five, but probably three or four. And we're probably looking at 220 to 215, uh, to 215 219 to 216, something very, very almost unworkable, uh, to, to be honest. We'll talk about that later in the program. Joining us now on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is Liz Peak, Fox News, Fox News contributor and FoxNews.com columnist. And I strongly recommend Liz's latest column. Uh, it's an opinion piece. Gen Z stopped Republicans expected red wave. If you look up Gen Z, there's always these different ranges. But typically, if you're born between 1996 to 2009, you're Gen Z. That voting group, and I think there's a, 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 a wrinkle here why they also voted strongly Democrat. And they, they're going to wind up, I think, not getting their ten and $20,000 checks that they thought that the bribe was made but wasn't paid is, I think, how that's going to wind up turning out. Uh, Liz, it's great to welcome you back to Guy's program. Hi there. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. So let's talk about this. I agree with you completely. I think a couple things converged. The younger voters, definitely. They don't usually vote in impressive numbers at all. The younger voters, I think, did put them over the top, as you say in your piece. I think strategically in a certain number of states, you take Michigan, for example, I think Gretchen Whitmer gets another term as governor because of the abortion question that was on the ballot. I think that put her over the top. So the Democrats, and I I think you can appreciate this because you and I have talked about the Democrats want to abolish the Electoral College. Republicans won the popular vote this time, and the Democrats won the Electoral College in a sense. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah, isn't it? Of, yeah, sort of turnaround is fair play. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think there's an interesting thing going on here, and I'm actually kind of shocked that the pollsters didn't pick this up because just FYI, and for your listeners should know, this is not the first time that Gen Z came out in big numbers. In other words, uh, pollsters always discount young voters because yeah. they're unreliable. They tend not to show up, and particularly that's true in midterm elections. But they did in 2018, and they did again in 2020. So when you had polls, like one insider poll had uh, Dr. Oz up over three points ahead of John Fetterman in Pennsylvania's yeah. Senate race, uh, because they were assuming that voters under 40, only 10 percent would show up. I think it was more like 28 percent showed up again, the same as the last two election cycles. So there are a number of things you can draw from this. One, pollsters are kind of lazy that they didn't go back. And, and I mean, I'm sure they did, but they sure didn't factor in this as an ongoing trend. Number two, Gen Z seems to be pretty whooped up about politics. And, you know, when you consider they came in a, of age in the middle of covid and with all kinds of sort of horrific things going on, it's maybe not such a surprise. But the truth is Republicans have to get on board with talking to this generation because uh, it's only about 10 percent of the electorate. It will grow. Boomers yeah. are going to shrink as a percentage of the electorate. And and by the way, to your point, every generation becomes disillusioned, right? Yeah. Some have, it happens more quickly than others. This generation clearly thought that they're college loans were going to be paid off. 
They're not going to be. I know. So I think some of this group will look at that and say, well, wait a minute, we were really played for fools here. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, there are other things, too. There's an interesting thing to think about. One of the big issues, obviously, in this election was inflation. Well, young people really aren't that impacted by inflation. They tend to live at home. Uh, their, their careers are on the ascent. If, if they're doing well, they're getting paycheck increases more than just the cost of living increases. So, Frank, uh, I mean, I've read some studies about this. Older people obviously very, very hit hard by inflation. Younger yes. people, not so much. So for them, I don't think that was a really compelling reason not to vote in favor of abortion, climate change issues and things that they care very much about. Liz, in terms of, and the other thing that polls can't do is measure intensity. If you ask someone, mm-hmm. is President Biden doing a good job? And if only 39 or 40 percent or 41 or 42 percent was like his high mark pretty much uh, in any of these polls running up to the election, high 30s, low 40s. So you say he's not doing a good job. That doesn't mean you're not going to vote for that philosophy of governance. You were just asked, do you approve of him? Yeah. I think people yeah. thought it was an extension of you're going to definitely vote against Democrats. Now, to be fair, a lot of these races, if you break each one down, there there were things on the ground in individual states. I know that my former boss, President Trump, gets a lot of blame. It, it, it doesn't seem to matter that he went uh, something like 322 to 21 or something like that because the ones that seemed to matter the most didn't go the way that Republicans wanted them to go. And then, of course, it's either got to be Trump's fault or Mitch McConnell's fault. Somebody's (laughs) got to get the blame. But what do you attribute the fact that more Americans voted Republican, but that Democrats wound up? Now, they're going to lose the House, so it's not like they won everything, but certainly the margin is going to be very, very tight. So they lose the House narrowly. They'll either have 50-50 control the Senate with the vice president or 51 49, as you know, depending on December 6th in Georgia. What do you think happened here that Republicans won the popular vote, but Democrats pulled off a lot of these squeakers for governor, for senator? Your thoughts? Well, I do think I do think that the various rule changes that occurred during covid had a lot to do with the outcomes. That is to say, the fact that you had huge early voting in a state like Pennsylvania, 50 days, I think, of early voting, so that a great many people voted, mostly Democrats, ahead of, for example, the debate between Oz and Fetterman. Well, those people really didn't see how incapacitated Fetterman was um, and didn't really have a chance to make up their minds about Dr. Oz. So I I think Republicans, look, you say there's a lot of finger pointing for sure. But the GOP kind of missed the ball here. I mean, these are the new rules. So they have to adapt and they have to play by these rules. And, uh, you know, President Trump uh, did a disservice to the party by telling people not to vote early. People should vote early, (laughs) as early as possible. Make sure your vote is registered. Democrats have been smarter about this because – Guess what? If you wait till Election Day and your kid is sick or you have to go into the office unexpectedly, whatever it is, you're not going to vote. And I could could not agree more. Here's how I uh, break it down. Republicans believe there's one Election Day. Democrats believe there are election months, not even months, months. We have in New Jersey 55 days where you can vote. (laughs) Nine days of early voting at certain polling centers, 
And then, of course, you have Election Day. Now, if and I can tell you in, in our particular area, a lot of races came down to Republicans winning on Election Day, but losing in what's called vote yeah. by mail and losing yeah. in the early voting. So you have to treat it like there's three different elections. There's vote by mail, there's early voting, and then there's voting on Election Day at the machines. If you give Democrats the first two, you're probably going to lose. I think so. I think so. And again, this doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. Yep. I mean, there are states like Georgia, which we did their rules. But unless you have Republicans in charge of the state and the election apparatus in the state, it isn't going to change. So the GOP really has to adapt in Arizona, in Pennsylvania uh, and a whole bunch of other states where they got really snookered. And I, I don't mean they, the Democrats cheated. They just played by the rules more intelligently. Yep. So that's a big deal to me. Liz, help me me with this, too. We have to fix something because the problem is years go by and everybody forgets all over again. Yeah. And then we have the same thing happen again and again. Florida had a mess, as we know, that goofy guy with the magnifying glass and the dimpled chads and the intent of the voter. Oh, look at this, this tiny little depression. I believe the voter intended to vote for Gore or for Bush or Buchanan with the butterfly ballot. All right. So Florida messed it all up, stunk it all up. And, it, and, and, and obviously all eyes were on them because 500 or so votes were the difference between President Gore and President George W. Bush, who went on to be a two-term president. That's how ridiculous this can be. Florida fixed their mess. They are the model. They counted 8 million votes by Election Day at 9 o'clock at night. Nevada can't count less than a million in eight days uh, or, or Arizona. I know we have 50 individual elections, Liz, but this can't – this is America. This can't be allowed to stand like this. And, and I, I was talking to someone in Ohio today who tells me that in Ohio he voted early, but you can track your ballot all the way to the point where it is posted on the machines or whatever. In other words, there is no slippage there. Yeah. So why doesn't every state do that? Because then, you know, honestly, then it, it, we, we do have to get rid of this sense out there that these elections are flawed. Correct. You can't believe the outcomes. Correct. We need more transparency. We need more professionalism. I, I agree with you. It cannot stand the way it is. These states have got to get their act together. No, I mean, Arizona is just an embarrassment. By the way, California is an embarrassment. Yes, they are. What's their I, excuse? I, Liz, they're, I saw a race in California. There's still only like 65 percent of the vote counted eight days How after the election. Be? And this is the tech capital of America. Yes. In fact, the tech capital of the entire world. And Liz, they can't count ballots. W- will Eesh. you join? Will you join with me? See if you agree with me. And if you, you and I have had a lot of agreement in all the interviews we've done, and we have occasional split decisions, and I love them all. Uh, I believe it's on purpose. You you can't be this bad at something like this. <laughs> By accident. And it happens election cycle after election cycle. It's the same states every time they want it to be this way. That's my belief. Well, I, I don't disagree with that because otherwise they'd fix it. Right. Correct. Um, they don't want and, to fix and they it. haven't. Pennsylvania, again, that's oh, an eyesore. And terrible. we it was a tremendous problem in 2020. They should have made it better and they didn't for 2022. But by the way, I mean, I wrote after the 2020 election, if Biden really wants to be hailed as the president, the legitimate president by every American, let's have a presidential inquiry, a committee set up in Congress, truly bipartisan, 
and investigate all the allegations of voter fraud. Do that. Because then everyone, you know, then really you just can't have people constantly saying, oh, they they won, they cheated. You know, that's how it happens. We have to get rid of that. And the Liz, only way to do it is really with transparency. We're so uh, uh, obvious to seeing that Florida can count 8 million votes in one day. Yeah. And that's because they have systems in place that the early voting and the vote by mail and the, the um, messenger ballots and all of them, they've got a handle on all of this so that then they're really just tabulating Election Day at the machines and any provisional ballots. So that's your model. Yeah, that is your model of transparency. And I believe yeah. elections have to have finality. If you don't see a winner in a relatively short period of time after you voted, then your mind wanders to totally. that some cheating happened and they don't want to tell us the result and they're waiting until they can get the result that they want. And Liz, I'm not a conspiracy nut, but I don't blame anybody that doesn't trust what their lying eyes keep seeing with this stuff. I, I agree. I agree. And, and that's my point. I mean, there's whenever you have all this slippage and indecision and you can't come up with the winner uh, and so many other states are doing it better. Yes, you, there are people who out there who really need convincing. And it is an unhealthy thing for our country that there are so many people and there are quite a lot who don't believe that these elections are fair. Yeah, uh, we have to fix that. I think what we also have to do, we have one minute left in this interview, but what we also have to do is there needs to be polling reform in this country. They poll unlikely voters. So they knock out all these Gen Z voters because they don't meet the likely motor, voter model of having voted in three straight elections. So they're knocked out. Uh, so so in other words, there was never going to be a red wave or a red tsunami or anything like that. They just didn't pick it up. Yes. And, and again, it seems to me sort of unconscionable that that happened since we had two election cycles in which the information was there. So let's, you know, let's get to work and think really who is a reliable and a likely voter. Uh, and let's make, make it clear also uh, what we're, who, who we're canvassing and how firm our data is on it, because I agree with you. And by the way, these polls are important. They sort yeah. of guide people to give money to candidates. Yep. Yep. Uh, they guide people to turn out. I mean, if exactly. you think your party is in for a landslide, maybe you don't make as much of an effort to show up. And well, remember, happened, President Trump in 2020 was supposedly down by 19 or 17 or 19 points in Wisconsin, and he lost Wisconsin by less than one half of one percent. The polls can't be that wrong by accident. That's terrible. That is just yeah. terrible. To find out more about this whole Gen Z and how they stopped the Republican expected red wave, go to foxnews.com to Liz Peake's column. And Liz, it's always a privilege to present you. Oh, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Thank you, Liz. And I know, Guy, I appreciate you. Um, we've got to jump just for a little bit. Much more important content straight ahead. This is The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan Harry Hurley filling in today and tomorrow. And Guy will be back on Friday. Well, we, we, we must devote the, the closing moments of this hour of The Guy Benson Show to the private vote. I think a lot of people, you're probably expecting, well, what was the vote total? Mitch McConnell. He got reelected, right, as a Republican leader. The answer is yes to that, but it's a private vote. 
so you really never hear. They know, but you don't usually hear unless someone leaks it what the vote actually was. It appears that no more than 10 Republican senators, and they are said to be the most conservative of the Republican senators and those most closely aligned with former President Trump, were expected to join in what's called a revolt. Uh, He's a really good guy. Met him one time, a gentleman. I think he did a really good job uh, as chairman of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee. Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, junior senator uh, in Florida under Marco Rubio, the senior senator who had a great win, by the way, 16-point win. Uh, Governor DeSantis, a 20-point win. Uh, Florida needs to do a train-the-trainer program, and I'm not kidding you about that, on how to count votes and and how to um, to score. There was a red wave in Florida, no doubt about that. But I never doubted uh, Senator McConnell uh, never had a worry in the world. He said yesterday on the Fox News channel that I have the votes. And when he says that, he doesn't lie. He had the votes. He strongly had the votes. I would say out of 49, he had at least 39 of the 49. Rick Scott probably got about 10 votes. So they go to the old Senate chamber in the Capitol building. They have a private vote. And they, you know, they stare down their infighting and all the disappointment. You know that was going on in the room uh, because the Republicans, they were defending many more seats, but they should have won the majority. They're probably, I I know, Herschel Walker's going to win. They're going to have 50-50, but guess what? That's not good enough. This is The Guy Benson Show. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in today for Guy, who will be back on Friday. Joining us now on the Guy Benson Show, on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline, is a great American, a great public servant, and um, a really important voice in America, and especially what's going to be taking place on January 3rd, and that's when the United States House of Representatives, don't let anybody fool you, it's, it's going to happen, they're not, they're not rushing to declare the Republicans in the majority, but they will be. There's at least four races that I've got my eye on where Republican candidates are up by at least five points. They're going to be in the range of 220, 221, and guess what? 218 wins, and the gavel is going to be transferred. So will the committee chair assignments, and so, thank goodness, will subpoena power. Joining us is the United States Congressman from the 4th Congressional District of Texas, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, Congressman Pat Fallon. Congressman, welcome to Guy's program. Harry, thanks for having me on. You are also, sir, a great American. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Ditto, of course, back to you. And look, I I know what happened here. I think it was a bit of of a a little bit of a game where uh, Republicans, you know, Democrats can win by a little bit and they win. They're 50-50 and they're big winners in the Senate. Uh, If the Republicans don't win by a certain amount, it's as though you lost. But a win is a win, isn't it, Congressman? 
Well, you know what? They don't give out gavels in small, medium, and large, <laughs> yes. Harry. Yes. You got a gavel, it's essentially a hammer. And it, I mean, this is a big deal. We, we took over. This has only happened three other times where the House flipped in the last hundred years from uh, Democratic to Republican. Yeah. And yeah, but it had been a little more, of course. But, uh, you know, it was it's a it's a big win for America, for sanity and for fiscal restraint and discipline and hopefully for border security and a lot of other issues. And we're going to get into that. And I know you know this a little quick history. 1994, when my good friend, Congressman Frank Lobiondo, now retired and Congressman Jeff Andrew, who, you know, uh, is in that second seat, second district seat in New Jersey. When that class came in in January of 1995, that was the first time Republicans were in the majority of the House of Representatives in 40 years so, my goodness, you talk about 100 years, 40 years at that point was all Democrat all the time. So you were absolutely correct, Congressman Fallon. It is a big deal. Uh, and January 3rd is going to be a very big day for some of the reasons we talked about. I believe there's a United States District Judge, Emmett Sullivan, who bears watching. I've been highly critical of him. I was highly critical of him when he tried to continue his sentencing of General Michael Flynn, even after General Flynn had received a full, free, fair presidential pardon. You, you remember all that. And now here he is again, like a bad penny. He turns up and somehow he decides that a policy that has been working extraordinarily well uh, is arbitrary and capricious. So Title 42 and being able to have folks stay in Mexico unless we give them a reason to come in, in here to America is now going to be a big problem. And you know, Congressman, how fast the word gets out that it's open for business. And the border's already been leaking, as you know, like a sieve. Now look at this. This is this is a disaster, isn't it? Yes. And you know what, Harry, you, you point something out that's very important. Uh, important. And why are there so many more border crossings now under right. Joe Biden than there were President Trump. And there's a reason for that, because just as you said, word gets out. And so this Clinton appointed judge doesn't really care about what's in the best interest of the United States and what makes sense. So for a tell of the tape here, in April, there were 234,000 illegal border crossings. That was 1,258 percent worse than the last April President Trump had been in office. So 12 times worse. And that was the worst month, by the way, we'd had on record until, oh, I don't know, May, which was our 241,000 illegal border crossings, which was 930 percent worse than the last May President Trump was in office because he had a wait Mexico policy that was brilliant and it worked. So somebody yeah. would come, let's say from Guatemala, they make the trek all the way through Mexico, very dangerous. Drug cartels run the it's a de facto narco state, as we know. They get to the American border. And the United States says, oh, sorry, you're going to wait in Mexico while your asylum case is adjudicated. So they get on the phone and call back home and say, don't bother coming because I just went through a harrowing journey and they're still not letting me in. Correct. Instead, now they're saying, hey, wide open, come on. And they're really going to come fast because who knows if this gets appealed and he's overturned. And, and I, I certainly expect him to be overturned. See if you can make any sense out of this. This is pretty, um, pretty fantastical. President Biden knew the American people had run out of patience with, you know, all this um, COVID-19 emergencies and all these different um, procedures and rules and all of this. So he knew the election midterm election was coming up. So he comes out and says the pandemic is over. So he acknowledges that it's not a pandemic. 
It's not a medical emergency. It is now endemic, not pandemic. However, right after the election, he put the emergency right back into effect. And I know you know this. So how does Judge Emmett Sullivan say that a medical policy under this administration that has said that the emergency is back? And I know why he does it, because it's power and they have control over people and and things and money. But in any event, he still put the emergency back on after calling it off. And this judge then says it's arbitrary and capricious because, in other words, he has now become the decider that says that there's no longer a health emergency. Well, I don't I can't square these two things. Can you? Well, remember, yeah, so these lefties, if they Harry, if they didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all. It's completely hypocritical. But you recall when there were protests that sprung up across the country about the COVID lockdowns, they were called dangerous and they were super spreaders. But then when the left had protests with BLM and Antifa in the summer of 2020, they said, no, that's just fine. Yes. Nothing bad could happen here. It's it's, it's what we want. Nothing bad can happen here. It was like all the priorities. Churches were closed, but liquor stores were open. I mean, they had their priorities all twisted and backwards. But this this Judge Emmett Sullivan, he has created a problem where, you know, look, there's a lot of really good people. They, They want the freedom and the opportunity that's available in America, and they've either been oppressed or just have no shot where they are. And there's some really good people. But we also know that we have drug cartels, human traffickers, MS-13 gang members. What is it now? I think Griff Jenkins, my good friend, reported 2,000 gotaways a day. How many millions have come in illegally since the Biden presidency, which is not even two years old yet, Congressman? It's millions, correct? Well, okay, so it's we don't know exactly, but we say, well, we know it's more than 4.7 million because it was 3.8 million actual encounters with Border Patrol. And then when Border Patrol is so overwhelmed, Harry, that they see, say, 16 more people crossing, they don't even have the resources to encounter them. They call those gotaways. They're, those are known gotaways. So between known gotaways, 900,000, and the 3.8 million encounters, that's 4.7 million right there. And then who knows how many the unknowns were. So probably about 6 million, which is the entire state of Massachusetts. And trust me, we only need one state of Massachusetts. Yes, all right. Now, we know yesterday, this is sort of timely, your appearance and what took place yesterday, because it was also just incredulous. This Homeland Secretary Mayorkas, I guess he thought if they whack the, the guy underneath Mayorkas, they can act like, oh, yeah, this this is the guy. We, we we have a secure border. This this is the guy. You know that guy was only doing what he was told. What a scapegoat he turns out to be. But Mayorkas does it again, Congressman Fallon, up under oath, under direct question questioning. He answers the question, is the border secure? And he once again says the border is secure. I, I mean, he can't possibly believe that, can he? No, okay. So he said that in 2021 when he testified in front of Homeland Security in the House and then was caught on a hot mic shortly thereafter saying that it was chaos. So yeah. clearly he was lying. I can't wait to ask him that question under oath. So this is his definition of secure. Six million border crossings in the last two years, 107,000 opioid deaths, 
And just last year alone, 80,000 fentanyl, most of which is produced in China. I mean, Harry, this is asymmetrical warfare. Let's look at World War II. We lost 400,000 Americans in on nearly four years. That was 297 a day Americans killed. Last year with opioid, it was 293, and most of it's being made in China. This is asymmetrical warfare. We need to call it for what it is. And if the president of the United States has a meeting with Xi over in China or wherever in the world, he's got to sit there and tell them, you got to stop this thing. We're not trading with you anymore. We yeah. time to play hardball. President Wasn't, Trump did it. Yeah. Biden did Wasn't a terrible Congressman Fallon. He was, what a missed opportunity. He's with, with um, uh, Xi Jinping. And he doesn't ask him about the origin of COVID-19. He doesn't ask him about fentanyl. He doesn't even ask about how you're creating like one third of the entire world's pollution. And while you're talking about, hey, we're going to talk about being, uh, you know, uh, responsible stewards of the climate, they're opening up a new coal factory every day. Not a word about any of this, Congressman. No, because it's about appealing to the left's emotions to get enough votes to keep yourself in power, not actually solving issues. For the left, their power derives from the problem, not a solution. They're just about to give $20 billion to Indonesia yes. to, quote unquote, for green initiatives. And they're looking the other way. What many of the American people don't know, because the mainstream media won't tell you, our economy is larger than China. The larger your economy is, generally speaking, the larger your carbon footprint and emissions will be. But the United States has cut emissions more than any other nation in the world in the last 20 years. The EU has been good with that, too. Whereas China now, with an economy slightly smaller than our own, produces nearly two and a half times the emissions. And the, the Biden administration doesn't say anything as if China's on a different planet. When China pollutes, that affects the environment for all of us. Bringing it like he always does, visiting on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is United States Congressman Pat Fallon from the 4th Congressional District of the great state of Texas, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. In the two or so minutes that we have left, I wish we had more, let me give you the opportunity to tell Guy Benson Show listeners how important the early new year, the Republican majority in the House, and you, committee chair, having subpoena power, how important that is going to be? Well, you know what, Harry, you can get to the bottom and the truth of things. You know, I'm not going to just, uh, you know, have I don't want to be a part of hearings just for the sake of hearings and to beat up the opposition. I want to get to the truth. I want to know, is Hunter Biden a national security threat to our country? When we need to ask him. And most people, again, don't know that the Biden family has had 150 SARs, which are suspicious activity reports in banking. That's like if me or you deposited $192,000 in cash in a bank. That may not be illegal, but it's weird, and it may be. So that's suspicious. So they file a report. There's 150 of these kinds of things on the Bidens. And then Joe Biden said he built a firewall, Harry, and he said, I don't know anything about my son's business dealings. I haven't met with any of his people. And and it was 14 times he did. So it's very important. We're going to have a parking space with Hunter Biden on it outside the Rayburn building because he's going to be in front of oversight so much. And the same with Alejandro Mayorkas. And for those who say, oh, you know, and the president said the other day, the American people are tired of investigations. That's all they did. They investigated who they wanted. They invented process crimes. They took down good people. Uh, People got prosecuted for things that no one's ever been prosecuted before, like Dinesh D'Souza. So I'm not saying this is about settling scores or anything, but there's a lot that they've been getting away with, and they're not going to be able to do it anymore, are they? Because then if they don't respond to a congressional subpoena, 
then like Eric Holder, they'll be in contempt of Congress. The only difference is hopefully Republicans will charge. They didn't charge Eric Holder. They didn't have him indicted. They didn't haul him in to a grand jury because nobody ever did that before until this gang. So there's a lot of work here, isn't there? Yes. And, you know, Donald Trump is the most investigated human being in the history. No doubt. Over the last four years. And there's no indictment. There's nothing because they have bumpkins. They just always say speculation, a report. It's always hearsay. Um, We're also going to get to the bottom of January 6th. Why was security so thin that day? Why didn't Nancy Pelosi let her Sergeant at Arms testify in front of their sham committee. I mean, things like that, just to balance the scales and to be even, even handed. If we investigate Hunter Biden and we don't find criminal activity, then that's that. But he needs to be investigated because the American people deserve to know the truth. Will we impeach Alejandro Mayorkas? Well, you know what? He said, according to the emails that have been unearthed, that uh, he, he knew that those Border Patrol agents did not whip the Haitian migrants. On horseback. That's right. And yet he went with the narrative anyway. So when you law when you lie about our law enforcement, I have no grace for you, Congressman. We have to leave it there. Uh, always a pleasure to speak with you, Congressman Pat Fallon from Texas. Have a great day, sir. Thanks, Harry. God bless. You're welcome, sir. Same to you. We'll be back. Don't go away. This is the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today and tomorrow. Guy will be back on Friday under the heading Elections Have Consequences. The great state of Texas, and we just visited with uh, a, a congressman, a great congressman from Texas, Congressman Pat Fallon. Texas understands that your choices were Beto O'Rourke, a perennial loser. What a, what a bad uh, investment that guy is. $200 million dollars. On Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams. My goodness. Wow. How many times do you get to lose and and get to run again? I think maybe we hit the limit here with three times. But these elections have such significant consequences because if Beto won, you'd have the Biden doctrine, the open borders. Lie that it's not open. Lie and say it's secure. But you would not have the enforcement. I mean, this is... This is the residents of Texas, a border state. It's the residents' health, safety, wellness, quality of life. They, they've had uh, uh, home break-ins, uh, all kinds of problems. So guess what? Texas Governor Greg Abbott has invoked the constitutional what's called invasion clause. And then what that does is that gives him ongoing authority, much like when President Biden calls an emergency, a health emergency, and then they can make you do certain things and have total control where you you lose your typical civil liberties for a period of time. Because after all, it's, it's an emergency. But this is a defendable emergency. And there's great coverage at foxnews.com about Texas Governor Greg Abbott and his invoking the invasion clause. And he said, quote, I invoked the invasion clauses of the United States and Texas constitutions to fully authorize Texas to take unprecedented measures to defend our state against an invasion. So guess what? They will be able to activate the National Guard, the the Texas Department of Public Safety, and their personnel in order to arrest and return illegal immigrants who are coming in through that open border Uh, And that's 
going to make a big difference. And as you know, like Governor DeSantis, Governor Abbott has been sending these illegals, and I don't know why they complain. They're sending them to very loud and proud sanctuary cities, New York and now Philadelphia and, and elsewhere. Why do these sanctuary cities complain? I, I fail to understand why they have anything other than just open arms, a warm welcome. They should send thank you letters to the governors because they are advertised sanctuary cities. We're going to be back in just a little bit. More of The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Christine Wyatt, Dan, and yours truly, Harry Hurley, filling in today for Guy. Guy will be back on Friday. So under the heading, the future of the Republican Party, if you listen to Senator Josh Hawley, he will tell you that uh, pretty much you've got to almost burn the house down and and then raise the Phoenix, raise all of it from the ashes, that there needs to be new leadership. Uh, basically, he's saying younger leadership and all of that. You could you could approach it that way. And I think a lot of Americans, a lot of Republicans even uh, believe that there needs to be change. Another way to look at it is that Republicans are poised and we'll go over this uh, in the next segment in detail. But the Republicans are poised to win the House of Representatives. As Congressman Fallon said on The Guy Benson Show, that's a big deal. It's a very big deal. It doesn't happen all that often. And in fact, when it does, having the committee chairmanship, the subpoena power, uh, all spending measures originate in the House of Representatives, which I always like to call the People's House. A lot of discussion happens there. The founders were brilliant. They wanted the People's House to be a little raucous, to be a little wild. Uh, to maybe quickly do certain things, and then it would be the job of the Senate to slow things down. Now, of course, if we have split government, and that's what our financial markets love the most, they don't want one party in charge. They don't want a president of one party and the House and Senate of the same party. They like markets like split government because they believe that you're going to get status quo, basically, because one side is not going to agree with the other. And, I mean, you think about... Uh, one vote here or there, and the Inflation Reduction Act, which is – it's a joke to call it that because it doesn't reduce inflation. And look what it did in terms of increasing inflation to this terribly high level that has affected so many people every time you make a purchase. So I'm of the school that it wasn't some tsunami red wave, but a win is a win. Republicans – have won the House. It'll be it'll be imminent. We'll give you the numbers coming up. I think one outlet did call a seat in California that is going to go that way in one of the races. And we'll tell you this more uh, a little bit later in the program, but it'll be this hour. Uh, one of them is has 70 percent of the vote, seven zero percent of the vote. Wait until you hear what I share with you. What percentage of the vote is still out? In some of these California congressional districts, it is an abomination. It's a disgrace that we're eight days past Election Day, and this is how they do their job. And we said earlier 
in God's program that they do it this way on purpose. This isn't like, it's the best we can do. They do it on purpose for a lot of reasons, none of them good. But the future of the Republican Party is bright. Let me tell you one of the things that's very important, of course, because the head of the party is the Republican nominee for president. Walter Mondale once said the highest office he ever held was Democratic nominee for president. And he had been President Carter's vice president for four years. He held the office of vice president, but he said the highest office he ever held. Because when you are the major party leader, the, the standard bearer, the nominee of your either your Republican or your Democrat party, you control so many things that a lot of people don't even think about. So who that nominee is, and I'm willing to say on the Guy Benson show that the 2024 Republican nominee will either be Donald Trump or Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, no disrespect, and I think he's an elegant, beautiful man. I've, I've been enjoying his interviews on the Fox News Channel with Brett Baer last night, with Fox and Friends this morning. Mike Pence is a prince. He's a prince among men. He's smart. He understands domestic policy. He understands foreign policy. You never hear him say the wrong thing. He was the perfect vice presidential running mate and vice president for President Trump. They're sort of opposites. One is bombastic. The other is very reserved. One is flamboyant and one is not. One is type A. The other, I don't think Pence is type A. He is a leader, though. Uh, in, in a different environment, Pence would be competitive. I don't, I don't even know if he's going to run, let alone if he runs that he would win. DeSantis can win. No disrespect. Glenn Youngkin, great governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. No chance. It will not be him. Maybe a VP running mate, something like that with someone else. Probably not Trump, who's been critical of him. Governor Larry Hogan, uh, if there was a number less than zero, I would assign it to him. Less than zero chance it will be him. Governor Asa Hutchinson, I've always loved him. One of the few members of the Clinton impeachment trial managers that actually continued to thrive. You, you go look back in time, Bob Barr and some of the other people. It didn't end well for them. Senator Tim Scott is awesome. I'd like to see uh, a Trump Scott, a DeSantis Scott. That would be a phenomenal ticket. He's got a real shot, I think, of being the vice presidential running mate with several people. No chance, though, that I think he will win the nomination for president. Mike Pompeo, great secretary of state. He was great in the CIA. You might remember, remember that before that. Really great American. No chance he'll be the nominee. Uh, Nikki Haley, another one that I think uh, would be a great choice. She could be a great president. I just don't think in this field she can get there. But she would be a great vice presidential running mate as well. And then my former governor, Chris Christie, who I have said this to on and off air, his high water mark was when he should have challenged Barack Obama instead of Mitt Romney. It should have been Chris Christie, could have been Chris Christie, in my opinion. This is why I believe that Ron DeSantis will definitely run. You have to understand in this game of electoral politics, you have a moment where you are the it thing. 
Christie was the it thing in his blue fleece on Saturday Night Live being uh, portrayed there. Uh, Ron DeSantis is as hot as you can be right now. If he doesn't run now, when? The conventional wisdom would be let Trump, you know, don't start a fight. Reagan's 11th commandment, just let Trump have it. And then in four years, I mean, the perfect plan would have been Trump DeSantis. And then you talk about the the Democrats have no bench strength. That's how Joe Biden and his pandemic basement election got there. They have no bench strength. I mean, look at the Republic, the the vice president got knocked out in the year before the election. And Biden ran the campaign in the basement, occasionally popped up and went to Delaware uh, or went to Scranton, Pennsylvania. I mean, you could never you could never do this again. It was a complete fake out illusion because of the pandemic, of course. So people bought it. And it still was 40,000 votes in three states. People forget this. They think it's some kind of blowout. 40,000 votes in three states combined. And Biden is not the president. Very, very close election. Similar math to Hillary. These things look wide when you look at the Electoral College, but they're very close. So who the standard bearer will be is extremely important because they're going to be on the top of the ticket. And let me tell you something about 2024 that is big time. This election, Republicans were defending many more Senate seats. If you don't know how this works, there's three classes in the Senate. And the math is odd because you can't have 33 and a third senators run every two years. There's three different classes uh, in two years. The class that's running, there are 35 senators that will be on the ballot. Two thirds of those 35 are Democrats. Nobody's talking about that. There should be. And it's really going to hinge on a lot of things. Does the economy turn back around? How do people feel? I can't imagine that we're going to have, after what we've already had, two more years of a recession, even though they won't admit that it's a recession. Go talk to any real American that has to decide if they're going to fill their tank or instead put in like a quarter of a tank and be able to buy food and you can't find baby formula. And it's it's crazy. And energy costs are up 28 percent for um, electricity, 27 percent for natural gas. I mean, it's it's horrific. Gas, it was two dollars is now four and beyond, depending on the state that's listening to guys program. Diesel is being rationed. And that's every truck that brings almost every product that you consume. So you tell me what the atmosphere is going to be. And then that will also tell the story big time. But Republicans, where they were defending so many more seats than Democrats this time, have a big advantage coming up. And then, of course, all 435 seats of the House of Representatives are going to be up. When we come back, I want to share with you exactly where it stands right now, because you need to know. You need to know how many seats have the Republicans won for the House of Representatives for this election cycle, for the class that will be sworn in on January 3rd, and how many Democrats have been confirmed uh, that they have won their particular seat. We'll give you the math, all of it, coming up next. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show.
We are back. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. It's Harry Hurley with Christine, Wyatt, and Dan. This is an important exercise because you need to know where we stand because there's, of course, so much at stake. We know that on the Senate side, it's very easy. Nothing complex there at all. It's right now. And keep in mind, when you see certain numbers, the Democrats really have two less members than what typically is reported because they have two independents who caucus with the Democrats. So they count as Democrats. That's OK, right? And that makes sense. So you have a situation where right now, if you count the two independents that caucus with the Democrats, it's 50 Democrats, 49 Republicans. And then if you don't know the way that it works, this one seat, because uh, Georgia has a rule now two years ago, it hurt the Republicans because you had Purdue and uh, Loeffler. They both won on Election Day, but neither got Purdue came the closest, just missed. If you don't get 50 percent of the vote plus one, Georgia has this rule. And I, I don't think I like it because you get a third party candidate in there and that third party candidate can get a couple of percent of the vote. There's one race I'm going to tell you about in a moment where the person got like six percent of the vote. Total spoiler. That's a House seat, though. Usually in these races uh, for governor, if you have an independent candidate or a Green Party candidate or a libertarian candidate, they get somewhere between one and three percent of the vote. But that, of course, is enough if you have a very, very close election to keep one of the other major party candidates from getting the 50 percent plus one vote. So here's what we have. Herschel Walker on December 6th will face uh, the Reverend uh, Senator Raphael Warnock. And now you don't need, you will get it because it's head to head. There's not a third party this time. You will get somebody over 50%, but it doesn't have to be. The winner wins this time, but you've got to do it all over again. And that election takes place on December 6th. So Republicans will either be once again, as it is now in this past two year session, every session of Congress is two years. And then they start all over again. The next they call it the next session, the next Congress. And they're numbered over the entire history of the country. And every two years, it's one more number added to that now big number that's now in almost the multiple hundreds, 177th Congress or whatever. So I think Walker is going to win, which would make it 50 50. But the party that's in power and Republicans did enjoy this until Jim Jeffords switched he switched to the Democrats, which was terrible because then Democrats had a 51-49 margin and they took over the Senate. 50-50, the vice president is the president of the Senate. And there you have it. Anything that's tie, the vice president breaks the tie. And that's the way that it goes. And that's the way I think it is going to go. So it really doesn't matter, except it's a six-year term. And that, that does – that is a big deal. So 50-50 would be much better than 51-49. And if it's 51-49 and they stay together, Vice President Harris won't have to uh, work a whole lot of overtime being the president of the Senate. Now let's take a look at the People's House because this is going to switch hands, but it has still not been called officially. One outlet called a California seat for a Republican, which no one else has called which if that one stays in Republican hands, 
That's the 218th vote. And then the gavel will switch from Nancy Pelosi, most likely, although he's got some work to do because 31 Democrats, I'm sorry, 31 Republican House members voted against Kevin McCarthy yesterday. He's got to get 218, not from the whole House, from just Republicans. They may have 219 or 220, no more probably than 221, but probably closer to 220. And I don't think there'll be any less than 219. As of right now, it's 217 Republican, 209 Democrats. Let me give you a few races that are notable. You have a Democrat by the name of Adam Gray with 86 percent of the vote right now in his California District 13 is leading with 50.3 percent of the vote. His opponent, John Duarte, is at 49.7. That could still go either way. But right now, a Democrat leads that. In California, and I said 86% reporting eight days after the election. Get ready for this one. This is a real butte. California District 22. David Velado has 52.4% of the vote, but there's only 64%. Only 64% of the vote is counted. It's unbelievable. Mike Garcia, I see no chance that he's going to lose. He's at 54.2% of the vote, and that's 70% of the vote in his 27th district. And I'll give you exactly where he stands at the moment, because that might be one of the next ones that gets called, and then uh, it would be over. I'm not sure why this hasn't been called. He's winning 54.2 to uh, to 45.8. Let me repeat that. I butchered it a little bit. 54.2 to 45.8 with 30% of the votes still out. So who knows? Maybe the decision makers from the networks and the Associated Press, maybe they're saying that there's still a strong Democrat, you know, area that hasn't reported and so on and so forth. So they haven't called that. But I don't see Mike Garcia losing that. And there's a few more uh, that when time permits, we'll share with you in the future. Republicans need to pick up one seat and they have the majority. Uh, It's going to happen. And I will say this. Had the Republicans not captured the majority, then I think all the people calling it a disaster and all that would be more correct than they are uh, in reality. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the Guy Benson Show, partnering with Christine Wyatt and Dan. My name is Harry Hurley, filling in today and tomorrow, and Guy will be back on Friday. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show on a very busy news day. On the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline uh, is a, a really, really fine man. Uh, he and I are dear friends. We've, we have done hundreds of hours uh, on air together. He is the firm founder of the law offices of John Zarek. He works federal and state criminal cases. He has tremendous experience battling 
Uh, one of the things I respect about John a whole lot is that he never backs down, even in the most contentious legal matters. And for years, John served as a trial attorney for the United States federal government before leaving to to found his own firm. And John is a member of both the New Jersey and the Maryland Bar. And joining us now on the on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is attorney John Zarek. John, welcome to Guy Benson Show. Great to be here, Harry. Really great to have you. Just a quick little comment about one of the things we're going to be talking about. And and still two lives were lost, so we can't mitigate how irreplaceable that is, how um, just unbearable that is for all the family members and all of this. And I know particularly, John, because you and your brother, you have spent time right there at the border in Poland, right at the border of Ukraine. And this looked like Poland was going to have to enact at least NATO Article 4 uh, and then even talk about Article 5, which that then it's World War Three, which is something you and I have been talking about ever since uh, Putin uh, did this illegal war uh, against Ukraine. Article 5, an attack on one NATO member is an attack on all. When you got the news, and Fox News was all over it yesterday, when you got the news that two missiles had crossed over into NATO member Poland, killing two Polish uh, folks. What were your initial thoughts, John? Well, I think my initial thoughts were just the same as everyone else, and that is uh, this could be the beginning of a very wide conflict. Um, Fortunately, it turned out, uh, it seems to be turning out that those missiles were probably air defense missiles fired by Ukraine. Yes, yes. trying to shoot down rockets. They had every every reason to do that. And, uh, you know, uh, Russia bears ultimate responsibility for those those deaths in Poland because had they not been attacking Polish civilians and infrastructure, uh, there would be no need for the defense and no need, therefore, for uh, people to get killed. But uh, it won't be the last time that that happens, certainly. Uh, the Russians are relentless, uh, and and I want to emphasize this is there's no military value in what they're doing. No, the 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 troops, uh, Ukrainian troops, do quite well uh, without support of civilian infrastructure. That's what armies do. They they travel, uh, they bring their food, water, uh, things that they need, ammunition, and they fight. Uh, that's normal life for them. So this is a punishment of the Ukrainian people just out of cruelty, trying to make them hurt enough to um, have them lose political support for the army. So, hey, John, John, explain, explain from your time that you spent in Poland near the Ukraine border and time that your brother has spent uh, and why I, I really emphasize, like, how did you feel about this? Because you've been You've been nearby Uh, a a stray missile. If Russia missed and it went into Poland, I mean, you were you were in the area. Your brother has been in the area. Tell Guy Benson show listeners what's going on right now. Well, uh, there are people uh, working on the border. We we went early on, uh, worked on the border with uh, thousands and thousands of refugees, primarily women and children, because men 18 to 65 can't leave the country. And, and in fact, they don't want to leave the country. They want to stay and fight. Uh, so we worked on the border, 
helping those uh, very traumatized women and children coming across the border, many of whom had lost uh, husbands, fathers, uh, children already. And uh, they were very, very uh, uh, stunned by their experience. They didn't know where they were going. And uh, they came across in, in pretty bad shape, unable to even think straight. Um, and one thing we learned uh, very quickly, there was only one thing that we could say that could uh, alleviate their suffering. And that, that was, we're from America, we're going to help you. That changed everything. They think of America as heaven. And uh, they couldn't believe that people would come that that far to help them because they've been so beaten down for such a long time mm. by the Russian attacks. The winter is here. I mean, it, I don't even want to say this because it, it shrinks in comparison. There is no comparison, but I ventured out this week. I get out very early in the morning, as you know, and it was 30 degrees. One day it was like 29 degrees. The winter is here. Uh, there is obviously an energy issue. Putin has hit certain targets to, to make it uh, a cold winter if he can. What what and I know because I've learned it from you, John, the fight in the Ukrainians is just amazing. They love their country. They don't want to be Russians. Uh, they will fight to the death. And when they, it's a fair fight, they keep winning. You know, Putin had another very embarrassing loss. And there's got to be something up with him. He wasn't. It was a G19. There was no Putin. Uh, Labrov took off early. Putin wasn't there at all. Something's up with him, which makes him more dangerous, in my estimation, uh, if there's a health issue and his time is limited, because everything he's doing seems like it's it's being decided by a person that doesn't have long uh, in this world. Uh, so that's a thing, I think, to be concerned about. But what do you expect? The Ukrainians have fought in the cold before. How tough a winter do you think it's going to be, the fighting? Well, I think it's going to be uh, as tough as any winter fighting is. It's uh, extremely uncomfortable. Food is an issue. Uh, water is an issue. Fuel is an issue. And they're going to have a tough time of it. But the Russians are going to have five times the difficulty fighting because, first, they don't want to fight. They don't want to be there. Um they are not motivated. They're not well equipped. They're not well supported, and uh, they feel like they've largely they the Russian soldiers feel like they're being used as cannon fodder. And we see interview after interview where they say the same thing um, that they feel like they're being thrown to the wolves. And um, I, I can tell you, the Ukrainian soldiers are so efficient, so highly motivated, so well trained. Uh, that uh, they are like wolves when it comes to confronting the Russians. So um, it's going to be the, the Ukrainians are going to advance. Uh, they're not going to just hole up. They are going to advance, and they're going to advance pretty aggressively. We, we are visiting with John Zarek, attorney at law. Also, he has spent time, and his brother, I think, is still there. Uh, but John has also spent time uh, in Poland right near the border and has met a lot of people. It was pretty neat to hear how appreciated America is because we see many times where America goes by unthanked, underappreciated, uh, and that's not the case here uh, with the Ukrainians. They, they really – they know they're, they're in this thing. 
uh, because of the support that they're getting, and most of it is coming from the United States of America. John, if you had to assess in your estimation, is it a stalemate right now? Is Russia winning or is Ukraine winning? Ukraine is winning uh, very decisively. So uh, they had in Kharkiv, which is in the north, they had a very successful offensive. They took a tremendous amount of territory back from the Russians. And then they did the same thing in Kherson in the south, which is a major city. It's a it's the capital of the oblast, the region there. And uh, they took it back quite handily. In fact, the Russians ultimately abandoned it. And it's instructive to, to see what the Russians did when they did that. My brother was in Kherson um, as of a few days ago and uh, on humanitarian efforts and um, delivered a lot of food and so forth and, and medicine and, and uh, things that the people need after really starving for a very long time. There hasn't been any, any electric in Kherson uh, since March. Wow. So they've been living. Now, that's during the Russian occupation. They just didn't think it was important to provide uh, heat and electric mm. to the Ukrainian people that were there. Uh, wow, so starting them off right, like showing them their new lives. You, this is you're with us now, and look how we're going to treat you. In terms, John, of any of the close fighting, Ukrainians have been beating the Russians handily. Russia's only advantage has been through the air, hasn't it? It has. I mean, it's it's really all they can do uh, successfully. And, the, and one of the reasons for that is that the Ukrainians are not desperate. They just don't grab people up out of prisons and slums and uh, off of uh, the factory floor and throw them into combat with little training. Uh, people who are good soldiers, but maybe a little older, maybe over 40, um, still still can do a lot of things. Are, are really not being used on the frontline combat situation. So they're, they, they make sure, uh, and everyone wants to fight, but they make sure that the people are very well trained, very agile, and can do multiple jobs when they get to the front. So do you, John, do you, think, do you think it's a attacking. surprise? Do you think it's a surprise how well Ukraine has done in the early days? I believe President Biden was expecting that Ukraine would somehow just surrender within one or two days and Russia would just take the entire country over. Obviously, that didn't happen at all. And I think we were a little bit slow getting them uh, some of the things that they needed to be competitive in order to fight Russia. And once they had them, they really have been very solid. Uh, what's, how do you see this ending and how long do you see this going? I see this ending, I, I would think, uh, a year and a half, perhaps. Wow. I mean, it, it does take time to cross territory, and yeah. I think uh, the Ukrainians are going to consistently advance advance against the Russians. And um, eventually this will end, I believe, with uh, all Ukrainian territory occupied by Ukrainians. And they're going to take back, do you think they'll even take back uh, the annexed uh, area, Crimea, and things like that, that, that Putin do. got the first time. So you think Ukraine's going to not only win, but they're going to take back the, the land that Russia got before. They will. And, I, and it's a myth that 
in certain areas, all the people, because they might speak Russian, that they don't consider themselves Ukrainians. But in Crimea, um, 90 percent of the people there are enthusiastic Ukrainians. They happen to be under the Russian thumb right now. But that's the case in a lot of places. Belarus, for example, um, you can't find a, a, a citizen of Belarus who will tell you they like the Russians or like the company, the country being ruled by the Russians right now through a puppet. Um, you can't find anyone to say that there, but they can't speak out because they disappear yeah. or they're killed. John, we're in the final minute. We won't talk about the military needs. We'll trust that our commander in chief and our military uh, is on that and getting uh Zelensky, President Zelensky, what they need in order to be competitive and to to save their country and to win. That's a question a lot of people ask. Are we giving them enough to just be able to hang out or are we giving them enough to be able to actually win? To me, that we've, we've got to help. We're going to help them. We have to help them win. We can't just help them hold a stalemate or something like that. But so let's go to the civilian level. What's the biggest need? Spend about 30, 40 seconds, John, and then we're done for this segment. Uh, what is the biggest need for civilians in Ukraine right now? They need food and they need heat and uh, they need shelter. Um, they're in very, very rough shape, but they need the, th- the basic things to keep people alive. Uh, How bad, medicine. John, when it's over? And, of course, there'll be more damage by then because Russia indiscriminately bombs. They don't care. They bomb maternity wards. They bomb, I think, the same maternity ward twice. If we didn't kill enough babies and moms, we'll bomb you again. So they don't care who they kill. That's always very dangerous when you have something indiscriminate like that. How much infrastructure is blown to bits right now in Ukraine? A lot. A lot. A lot. Uh, A great deal of infrastructure is blown up. But uh, the Ukrainians, with the help of the world um, community, will, I believe, very quickly replace what's damaged now. Uh, They'll come back, and they'll come back very strong, and they'll come back as a strong bastion against Russian aggression. And and then there'll be a lot of, with that term, nation-building, there's a nation that will actually need to be rebuilt, everything, infrastructure, uh, everything. I mean, so much has, has been destroyed by Putin. John, your expertise today on The Guy Benson Show is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much, my friend. My pleasure, Harry. Take good care. He is John Zarek, Esquire, and he knows, as you can tell, he knows that which he speaks, as does Guy Benson. And this is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan Harry Hurley filling in for Guy, who will be back on Friday. Joining us right after the bottom of the hour break is Christina Corbin, podcast host of the new hit show, What About Holly? What a story. We're going to roll back the Wayback Machine to a January afternoon of 1981. And what a story. Just grisly discovery. And uh, wait until you hear about this with Christina coming up in the moment or so that we have. Let me comment. And I have a rule and I have honored it for my 31 years as a broadcaster that I don't that the public figure, the elected official, 
fair game. I always believe you should be professional about it uh, and do everything you can if you're going to hit hard uh, to make sure you've measured a few times before you cut once. But that the family members, you know, you just leave them alone. There were people that made fun of Chelsea Clinton. I never did. People made fun of the Bush girls. I never did. I don't believe in in the family members. If a family member like a Hunter Biden, I mean, come on, you know, you got to count them. But this Giselle Fetterman, I'm urging you to I think she bears watching. She appears to be extremely ambitious. I looked at a, a quick bio a few hours ago and I never saw this before. A U.S. senator elects spouse calling themselves second lady of Pennsylvania. Now, that's usually, for example, Governor Murphy is my governor and his great wife, Tammy, is first lady. It's usually the governor is the chief executive officer of the state. And it's usually if it's a male or like we have with Kamala Harris uh, first, second man, second, you know, second man. Uh, But that's not. No, there's two senators to begin with. How's one, the second lady of Pennsylvania? I'm saying look at the photos with Fetterman cut out. Check it out. We'll be back. It's the Guy Benson Show. It all started with the brutal murder of a young married couple. Now, more than 40 years after the couple was found, investigators and forensic genealogists are cracking the case wide open to uncover a stunning second mystery. Where's the baby? I said, well, wait, he had a baby? We cross the country speaking with victims' families and those close to the case as we ask, what about Holly? I just want to know what happened. Available on foxnewspodcasts.com and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What a story. Christina Corbin is right now on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline, podcast host of the new hit show, What About Holly? And it's living proof that a case can be potentially closed badly. I'm not saying that's the case here and can remain cold for decades. And then all of a sudden there is some finding that opens up a discovery that then opens up the path to, to do what Christina has been doing here. Christina, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. What a story, Hello. huh? Wow, what <laughs> a story. There. Thank you so much for having me. You're yeah, welcome. it's a wild story, isn't it? My goodness. So we were going back to the year 1981, 41 years ago. So the, the German Shepherd comes along, discovers the young couple, but then you find out there's also a daughter. And you what's mm-hmm. take it away from here, Christina. Yeah, sure. So so back in January of 1981, a young college student, German Shepherd, discovered um, the badly decomposed remains of a young couple in the woods outside of Houston. And at that time, law enforcement was not able to identify them, which was really unusual for two people to sort of go missing at the same time, two young people, and end up, um, you know, murdered in the woods. And no one knows who they are. So the case was cold for many, many years. And then fast forward to October of 2021, DNA that was extracted from the remains um, was used by these two um, extraordinary genetic genealogists who were able to basically crack their identities by um, building out these elaborate family trees and, 
you know, entering their DNA into this um, online DNA sort of consortium that, um, you know, connects them with all these different DNA consumer databases. So they were able to find the identity of this couple, and they called their family in Florida to inform them. And the family was, you know, of course, devastated to hear, you know, what had happened. They, they didn't know all these years um, where, where they were. But then in the same conversation, you had this bombshell revelation, and it was this question, well, where's their missing 10-month-old baby? Wow. You are listening to Christina Corbin, podcast host of the new hit show, What About Holly? This is a multi-part true crime podcast. You've got to check it out. Now, what happens here is you, you get one piece of evidence, and it can lead you to another and to another and to another. Have the records been helpful? Were there good records kept that that um, give you a fighting chance here? How are things going? Yeah, so I uh, I was the first reporter to obtain the entire case file from police, and it's very unusual. Um, you know, I've covered crime for many years, and so I know just from experience, it's unusual to get a case file. But in this instance, they needed all the help that they could get. So they gave me the file, and um, it was pretty eye-opening. I mean, it was a really, really brutal crime. And then we find out the couple, this young couple, they'd moved from Florida to Texas. Then we find out that they had a daughter. And then it just continued on these twists and turns. Um, I've been covering this for the last nine months, and I learned, you know, uh, that that they were, that they had sort of had interactions with a religious cult. Um, mm. And uh, this group traveled all over the country, and that it you know, they perhaps might have given up the baby temporarily as they traveled. And then authorities um, with the Texas Attorney General's office announced in June that they had located um, the baby, now 42 years old, alive and well in Oklahoma. And that just that just opened up this sort of Pandora's box of more questions. Um, and it's really, I have to say, it's a riveting tale with many layers um, you've got, you know, an unsolved murder, a lost child, you've got the whole field of genetic genealogy, and you've got um, just this, this, this religious cult uh, involved just simply yeah. because they had, you know, some kind of affiliation with the couple. So it really is a wonderful mystery, and we worked so hard on it for so long, and I hope people like it. And, Christina, at least to some extent, Harold would be 62 his wife, who was four years younger, Tina, would be in her late 50s. Who knows who did the nefarious things? Because obviously they were beaten to death and different things. Mm-hmm. So there are other people involved in this. They didn't put themselves, you know, bury themselves. And who knows what age those person or persons were. So time is of the essence, isn't it? That's that's absolutely right. I mean, this is a 40-year-old case. It's 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 you know, been cold for so long. But I have to say that the field of genetic genealogy is just exploding. Um, and people, these you, you see now every day a case like this getting cracked. Um, and then also like suspects DNA, like, you know, that, that you can also match in, in a system these days. And so it's just, you know, you would think, you know, with the, with the four decades, the likelihood of them solving this isn't, isn't very high, but then you look at sort of how far we've come with technology and, um, it's pr- pretty amazing. Um, so who knows? I mean, I know that the authorities are still actively trying to hunt down the people who did this. 
And um, we've just been on this case since January when the Houston Chronicle first wow. did a report on it. And it's been quite a ride. <laughs> Christina Corbin has been our guest on The Guy Benson Show. Uh, wishing you great success. I know how hard you've worked on this. Uh, the hit show, What About Holly? Check it out. Great to visit with you, Christina. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You know it. It's my pleasure uh, filling in for Guy to have this privilege to uh, introduce you and to um, to talk about your work. And this is one of the Fox uh, podcasts. Check it out. When we come back, uh, producer Christine will be asking yours truly and Wyatt our opinion about something. Check it out. Don't go away. Because this is, after all, this is The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Team Christine, Christine, Wyatt, and Dan. Christine, I've been looking forward to this segment all day. I love Disney. I know you and your family loves Disney. I know Wyatt loves Disney. I think Dan loves Disney, maybe strongly likes. Uh, Christine, your opening comment. All right. I'm going to need you and Wyatt, or as we lovingly call him, YY, <laughs> to explain to me... How on earth it is okay to spend $10,000 for one week to go on a Disney World trip with my family? Because all Megan right now wants to do, we were supposed to go to Italy, and that's getting put to the back burner for right now. So I would like to go to an island, you know, Bahamas, Turks and Caicos, but Megan is begging, begging, begging to go to Disney. So we started uh, with the Disney planner, and we're trying to justify how much money we would have to spend to enjoy a week down there and i just want to i want to cancel the whole thing i want to start fresh and start somewhere else but i need you guys to 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 help megan here because she she's steadfast that we're going to disney granted it's not her money she's a child i get it but she's an only child so she gets a lot of say in this family (laughs) all right i'll go first wyatt i am usually on team christine today i am on team megan uh, Disney World is the happiest place on earth. It, it is true. It's becoming downright cost prohibitive for many, if not most Americans. And that, that is regretful. I think they have to find a way uh, to bring some of that joy back because the the entire economies of scale are completely whacked out. You have to really get creative with Disney. Uh, if you've been either a DBC member, which we are, then obviously on the room side, you are recession proof because your points are good for the length of the uh, the contract that you have, the mortgage. And so you have that covered. Obviously, food is very expensive and it's gone way up in Disney oh. World. Uh, you take on top of that the price for the ride tickets. Now, if you had the park hopper passes, annual passes prior to the pandemic and you continue to renew them, it is one of the best buys in Disney right now. You can get a year pass. So if you only go one time, uh, it's not as great a deal. If you go a couple of times to three times, it's an absolute steal. So the price is over the moon. And that is, that's really blocking a lot of people from being able to go. Uh, there's no doubt. The price tag that you cited, Christine, is out of sight. 
And you think about how you're already in this inflation. People have lost a month of their yearly pay. And then you take a vacation like that. It's five figures. And it's very, very tough. You, you really have to then make sure you really maximize the joy because you are paying a premium for it. Wyatt? Yeah, I I tend to agree with everything you said there, uh, Harry. I think it's uh, it's a magical place, but it is increasingly getting more and more expensive, and you kind of have to make the most of it. And I think that they need to do something to to tamp down on these these high costs because it's starting to get ridiculous. I I, I agree, and they have to think about bringing some of the things back, like fast passes. They have these genie things, and now you get charged. If you want to make a reservation to, to get a break, you know, because one thing about Disney, you can't get time back that you've lost. If they give you a special fast pass, then that, they sort of call that finding time or giving you time back. But your time can really get gobbled up if you don't plan properly. Christine, for example, how many rides do you and the family go on when you go? So we went five years ago and. I mean, we are like, especially for the Magic Kingdom, we are people that will be there from open to close. We want every single ride two times. And the last time we went, they had that fast pass. So it was so great. You would just see what's open. I I haven't even been told. So there is no fast pass anymore. There is no fast pass. They have this Uh. genie thing. And then you can pay for that. And then for certain premium rides, you pay even more of a premium. So after you've already paid between oh 124 and 176 dollars, because it depends on the time of year, for your park hopper pass. On top of that, it's an insult. It's insult to injury. They want you to pay in order to not have to wait. It's getting borderline. And I'm I'm nicknamed the Disney Yoda. We right. absolutely love it. But I'm telling you, they are finding ways to steal your joy, and they have to get it back. I think the fast passes should come back. You're doing something that's smart. I would advise anybody that that is paying this kind of money, get to that park. They have Magical Express. If you've been, um, uh, if you're staying at a Disney resort, which I know you and your family do, you can get those early magic hours. They call them. So I always say take advantage of that because you can get two or three rides in before any of the crowds even start if you get there right at opening. And opening is usually a little bit before because they they call out Disney Magic and actually open up the doors a little before opening time. And then sometimes folks will go home. Maybe if it's younger children, they take a nap and then go back because at the end of the day, you can get on rides without a wait. You have to just find ways to – to beat the system almost. Right. And, but that's my point is I'm going to spend, and I'm sure people listening, you know, are probably in the same boat. I know there's a lot of people that listen, have families and they're, you know, Disney is the, the, the place to go. That's where the kids want to go, but I'm going to spend all of this money. And then I have to cheat a system pretty much. Almost. I I don't want to think when I'm on vacation, I want to walk up to a ride and get on a ride. You know, I I understand there's some waiting, but to spend all this money and then have to worry about getting up at like five in the morning to get there early. Like that to me is not a vacation. It does not sound fun. And I know my husband probably feels the same way. I would prefer to maybe do some all inclusive on like an Island somewhere where, you know, maybe they have a water park or something, but 
explaining that to a nine-year-old little girl is very, very tough. Yeah, it is, know, sort of the, it is sort of the disconnect, the adult vacation versus the one that the child will favor. And usually the, the parents uh, go with the child's wishes because they're only little for so long. Disney's wonderful. It, it's a great, magical place. But they really have to look at what they're doing because they're, they're, they're pricing so many Americans. And people travel all over the world to Disney World, as you all know. They're pricing themselves out. But why do you think that is? Is it just due to inflation of what, you know, the sense of the country is? Or you think they're doing this for other reasons? I think they're doing it because they need the money. I mean, they're laying people off. I don't know if you guys heard the news. Disney is going to be laying employees off. They're not happy at all with last quarter's earnings. Uh, and when the corporate entity bought Disney, it operates like a, a line item on a balance sheet and not the way that Walt Disney envisioned. Yeah, this is, I mean, I remember going, like I said, five years ago, I went as a child and it was, it was magical. And even five years ago, before the pandemic, it was an epic trip. But I just, I, I, I just can't wrap my mind around it. And I know Wyatt earlier said to me that Megan is only young for, you know, just a little bit of time. And those, you know, other vacations, those beach vacations, can wait, but you can have a great time on those and you can get some all-inclusive deals yeah. where the food, and as we all know on this show, I like my mama's juice. So, you know, yeah. wine, the wine is a-flowing. Well, <laughs> if Christine and Wyatt and Dan, if they're, if they're clipping you on the big stuff, you know they're also clipping you on the little stuff, the magic things oh. that you used to get for free. All you had to do was make your reservations, and they would come in the mail a month before. Oh, they're not free trip. now? No, you have to pay for them now. It's a, oh. it, it is getting so insulting. I think soon you're going to be able to do it from your smartphone. But right now, you'd have to pay for that band. Uh, they're not cheap. If you want to get the ones with characters on them, they get downright expensive. You can get wow. some basic colors cheaper. Here's another thing. Uh, when you flew in, they had Magical Express. Yeah, it was a yeah. fabulous way to begin. You had the cartoons that the kids loved on the bus. They did away with that. <gasps> now you have to pay for either their transportation or take an Uber. So you start to add this stuff up, Christine. The bands are at least $15 each and, and a whole lot more if you get the um, the fancy character ones. I'm talking about solid ones in like red and blue and a couple of colors, yellow. Uh, and then, of course, the transportation has Ugh. to be at least another probably up to $50 each way. Uh, it's just getting expensive on top of expensive, and people are noticing. All the members of our family have commented that it has changed. And, and keep in mind, the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour listeners, you're talking to people that love Disney World and you're hearing this. You can imagine sort of the fringe players. They're disgusted by it. I agree. And to wrap this up, also, I, I'm a little perturbed of how woke Disney has become. So Big in the time. back of my mind, that's, you know, a red flag. I mean, obviously, I can't take that out on Megan. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put this to Twitter, at CookiesJar1988, whether or not I should try to just push Megan into a different type of vacation because this just seems like a lot. If they can, they're trying to get rid of the term princesses. I mean, how do you uh. get rid of princesses? They're re reimagining the um, Splash Mountain because that's offending someone. Uh, you are absolutely correct, Christine, on the woke 
which we know is broke and a joke. Uh, that's becoming a big problem as well for many people. It sure is. So to be continued, I'm sure everybody will hear about my sagas. That is Team Christine. Christine Wyatt, Dan, and yours truly filling in for Guy. This is The Guy Benson Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.